at the Old Testament book of Numbers, the text is printed in the bulletin, Numbers chapter 32, verses 1 through 42. Uh, I'm only going to read to you verses 1 through 32 this morning, um, because the, the last part is um, a, l- a little bit uh, repetitive about what the, the chapters already uh, talked to us about. So uh, still, it's 33 verses, and it's the summer, and it's a little hot in here. So you should pay attention, uh, at least to this, because it's not, you know, th- this, these words are not my words. So you should pay attention. Uh, Numbers chapter 32, this is the word of God. Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation, Adarot, Debon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eleah, Sebum, Nebo, and beyond, the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, if we found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us. Across the Jordan. But Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. None except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will again abandon them in the wilderness, and you'll destroy all this people. Then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we will take up arms, ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. So Moses said to them, If you'll do this, if you'll take up arms to go before the Lord for the war, and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he is driven out, his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep, and do what you have promised. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben said to Moses, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, And all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over every man who is armed for war uh, before the Lord to battle, as my Lord orders. 
So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers, houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, every man who is armed to battle before the Lord, will pass with you over the Jordan, and the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for possession. However, if they will not pass over with you armed, they they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben answered, What the Lord has said to your servants, we will do. We will pass over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, and the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us uh, beyond the Jordan. So one of the things that you might miss as as you think about this story, we can kind of miss the, the forest for the trees, is that this all that we have been looking at in the book of Numbers is the process of getting a group of people who were previously slaves with no real identity, giving them an identity, and getting them from uh, Egypt to the promised land. This is a traveling story. That's the point. That's, that's what God's uh, promise has been about, and that's what they're doing. Now, go ahead and put my notes up there, Brian. So up until this point in the story, most of the uh, obstacles that the people have experienced have uh, that have to keep them from doing that have been obstacles of lack right remember when they didn't want to keep going because they didn't have any water uh remember when they didn't want to keep going because the manna was lame right and remember when they didn't want to keep going because they lacked courage now this this fits for us right because that's the way we think about the world you and i think about the world in this way i could do x if I had why. That's how we approach the world, right? It's everything about the way in which we look at our lives is we define a deficit. And whatever that deficit is, if I had that met, then I could go and do what God wants me to do. Or I could go and achieve this. Or I could go and do that. Right? It never occurs to us that an obstacle that you may have in your life is not a lack or not something that you're missing but something you have. That never occurs to us, does it? Um, As a culture and as a people, we love our stuff. We love it. You can say you don't love it. Or you can say, you know, I don't really love my stuff, but you love it. One of the ways I know that... uh, 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 we love our stuff as recently, uh, because all three of our children live somewhere else now. They come to see us, but they live somewhere else. It's good. It's good. It, I'd forgotten what life was like without kids in the house. And, um, for those of you who are looking forward to that day, there is a glorious future awaiting you. <laughs> We love our kids. They come to see us and then they, then they go back to what they're doing and it is awesome. But the problem is we have a lot of stuff, too much stuff. So I've been going to Goodwill, the Goodwill place up on Broad Street and dropping my stuff off. And this, this is very interesting because one of the things that I learned is I've been taking truckloads of stuff to the Goodwill place and whatever, whatever stuff, stuff the Goodwill guy won't take, I take it over to the little shed over there at the, uh, at the dump. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> where, where you, you know, you don't want to throw it in the dumpster, but you put it out here and people get it. I mean, I feel it, it is, it will improve your self image so much when you take your stuff out of your truck and put it in the shed and people swoop down on it and get it. 
They're like, they like my stuff too, you know, right? So the guys at Goodwill have been like, wow, you're bringing a lot of stuff here. Yes. They're like, you must be moving. Right? Because the only time we don't like stuff, our stuff, is when we're moving. Right? Because it's an impediment to getting us where we want to go. If we're settled, you know, stuff, more stuff is better. No. No. That can't be, right? Hmm. Isn't that funny how that works? That actually the issue, and this text illustrates this for us, the thing that is going to keep all of God's people from getting where it is God wants them to go is stuff. Cows. Sheep. Things that God had actually given the people. And so, you know, we, we read this text and you may think, well, you know, how it, it, it makes sense to me that, you know, it would be hard to travel without water and it would be hard to travel without food. And and it would be hard to travel if you're afraid that somebody's going to to come and hurt you. But it never occurs to us, you know, really, the thing that is might keep them from getting to the promised land is they've got too much good stuff and there's nothing wrong with the stuff. In fact, God gave them the stuff. Right. And so suddenly there's a crisis uh, uh, that happens uh, to the people of God. And and, you know, we may be thinking, well, what is the big deal? Really, what's the big deal? You know, God gave them that stuff and they're just on the other side of the river. You know, let them stay there and let them let them let them have their stuff. Let them have their cows. And, you know, it's going to be fine. Right. But the problem with that is, and you see it in the very strong reaction that Moses has, right? I mean, he basically uses similar language to what Jesus uses, right? You're a brood of evil men because you're more interested in your cows and your sheep than you are in the community. So what's really going on here? What's, what's the problem? Well, it would be easy for us to say that the problem here is greed, and that's part of it. It would be easy here for us to say that part of the problem is a a focus on stuff instead of things that are spiritual. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. But I'm here to tell you, next slide please, Brian, that I think the, 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 the problem is a misplaced identity. And that's what Moses understands about what's going on here. And I think, I think this is, uh, this is such a deep and profound thing for us. Because do I define myself by what I have and not by those to whom I belong? Now, let me let me be clear about this. this. That sentence is very important for you and I to think about today. Because you're, you, you're, you're already prepared and you're already inoculated against me saying to you, you're not defined by what you have. You're going to you know that you'll nod your head and then go proceed to define yourself by what you have. But that's okay, because you've got 700 of your best friends doing exactly the same thing, and so we're all in a conspiracy to do this together. Okay? So it's good. It's good, right? Uh, Do I define myself by what I have? And then you're, well, and then you're like, oh, I know what Steve's going to say next. You need to define yourself Not by what you have, but by who you belong to. And you belong to Jesus. 
So he's right. I need to start defining myself by the fact that I belong to Jesus. Well, you're already inoculated against that because I've told you that a million times. Right? That sentence says, do I define myself by what I have, not by those to whom I belong? We say this thing in church periodically called the Apostles' Creed. You know that? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We say in that that Apostles' Creed this one little phrase, I believe in the communion of the saints. Now, what is the communion of the saints? Is it is it, oh, we get up and we eat the little bread and we drink the little cup? That's communion. Right? Isn't that what we think that is? That's, that's the way we tend to think about it. Well, and that's certainly an expression of it. But the communion of saints means I don't belong to myself. When I, uh, when Jesus bought me, when Jesus brought me into relationship with him, when he redeemed me, he redeemed me not just to belong to him, but to belong to all of his people. And so the fact of the matter is, when I followed Christ, and when I identified with him, what happened? I had a whole new set of relationships and a whole new set of people to whom I belong. And if I belong to them, they're accountable to me. And if I belong to them, I'm accountable to them. So it is, it is a, it's a, it's a pretty profound thing. Now, you know, regularly you get to see in this congregation when we stand people up here on, on the stage and we read five questions to them when they join the church and they say yes five times. Now, I just misled you because they didn't join the church when they stood up here. Did you know that? They've already been interviewed by the elders. They're already members. So why do we embarrass people by making them stand up here in front of the church and say yes to those five questions? It's so you can see them and they can see you and we can all say, we're all in this together. Those people belong to me and I belong to them. Okay, that sounds good. That's, that's good. That's, that's helpful. You know, I, I like that. And, and I can see some good things about that. But here's the thing that needs to make you uncomfortable. When was the last time that relationship, the fact that you are a part of a community and this community is a part of you, that you experience and you live in the communion of saints, that thought, that truth, that reality, that transcendent reality shaped what you spent your money on. When was the last time you asked the question or I asked the question, you know what? Does this purchase, this use of my resources, in what way does that bear reflection to my responsibility to be a part of this community? Right? Now, the thing you may be saying about that is you may be thinking, well, that's a stretch because God, God was upset with the people uh, because they weren't going where he wanted them to go. But see, look at the first thing that Moses says. Moses said, to, after they come to him in verse 6, Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? The sin that Moses is calling out, the thing that he's calling out is he is... And, and the thing that he gets so frustrated with is, you're one people called to one destiny. 
You belong to each other. And as a result of that, the, the thing that matters here is, is that we do this together and that we are accountable to one another and that we sacrifice for one another. That's what the, that's the first thing Moses calls out. Now, let me just, let me just go ahead and, and lay out some, some things here, uh, some, some caveats about this because, um, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you today that uh, the poorest person in this room, by historical and uh, statistical standards, by any measure, uh, stands in probably the top one or two percent of wealth of all the people who've ever lived on this planet. And I know that I'm telling you, if you're a 13 year old boy in here today. That doesn't make any sense because you have friends who have things you don't have. Typically a video game thing or some piece of technology. And life is barely worth living because you don't have that. Now, you know, I'm not picking on 13-year-old boys. You know how you got that way? Your mom and dad. They're raising you right. Right? So we're all in this together, right? And, and, and this is the way, you know, it, it, it kind of works for us, isn't it? I mean, this is exactly kind of the, kind of the way this, this, this stuff kind of, uh, happens to us. And so, uh, for us to think that somehow or other I might be accountable in some way to somebody else because God called me to himself and not just called me to himself so that now I can go ahead and do what I want to do, but God called me to himself to participate in and live in a community of people that I am accountable to, that I love, that I serve, and that I sacrifice with. Right? Now, secondly, there's another thing that we have to, uh, another caveat, another thing that we have to say about this is, for many of you, uh, and for many of us, the thing that becomes uh, an impediment to the the freedom that Christ uh, died to give us also comes when we look at our lives and we think, well, I am going to expend these resources in this way for my family. And that makes it acceptable because, you know, family, uh, well, it was right up there with Jesus. Except we just read from the New Testament, you know, when we, when we hear the banquet, invitation and we see the banquet invitation oh that guy that's got the oxen he's bad because he's paying attention to the oxen the guy the guy who's got the field oh he's bad you know selfish because he's paying attention to his stuff what about the guy who says i just got married and i can't come oh you get a pass you're one of us you know you fit in our subculture where, you know, this transcends everything else. Well, the fact is, the truth of the matter is, uh, there used to be a time and a place where uh, we thought about prosperity as believers, as Christians, in this way. I want to be successful and I want to uh, do well to provide for my own so that I will not be, and my own will not be a burden to the wider community, and so that I can bless 
those in need. Now, why is that worth thinking about? Because that centers our thinking about our resources, not just in myself, what I have, what I don't have, keeping up with somebody else, um, whatever the way we, we tend to think about that. And it roots me and my understanding of the things that I have, the things that God gives me as a part of a wider community, right? Next slide. So I came across a, uh, an editorial this week by, um, by David Brooks, writes for the New York Times. And uh, bear with me as we read these uh, couple of sentences. He's talking about this problem as a wider problem in our culture, and I think it's certainly infected the church. He says, each person is a self-created, choosing individual, pursuing individual desires. Isn't that written in the Constitution? Isn't that what being an American is all about? Isn't that, that's what I told my kids. <laughs> yeah. There's no sense that we're part of a common flow connecting the past, present, and future. Instead, of a, instead each of us creates our own worldview anew. So over the decades, the sense of we-ness began to turn into a sense of I-ness or you-ness. You can see it in today's commencement cliches. I've been to a few of those. Follow your passion. March to the beat of your own drummer. Listen to your own heart. You do you. And by the way, if you went to a commencement uh, uh, and somebody said, you do you, you should write that school and get a refund on your tuition. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because the fact is, and that's what Moses sees is wrong here. Moses doesn't come to the people and say, you know what? You guys are right. You got these cows. You just stay here. It'll be fine. We'll go and do this. And, and you can imagine the, the, as Moses reacts so strongly to this, that what has he been giving his life to all these years? But, but the work and the building of a community of the people of God, where these people belong to, to, to the Lord and their identity is as the people of God. And as a result of that, they belong to one another. And here at the end of his life, he sees that splendoring. He sees now, rather than fear being the thing that's going to divide the people, or fear rather than fear being the thing that's going to keep the people from the promised land, it's their stuff. And that's what's going to cause, ultimately, uh, the division. Next slide. So, so, the, so the, the, his reaction, you know, is, could not be any stronger. And so we, we, we read this and we think, wow, this is, this, is, this is pretty crazy because he says, you know, how can you do this to your brothers? And then the people come back with, okay, what we'll do is we'll keep our cows here. We'll keep our families here, but we'll send our men across the river with you and they'll fight. And once all the fighting is done, then they'll come back and everything will be okay. It's a compromise. Um, now, you know, you, you might be reading this text as a businessman, as somebody who engages in negotiation all the time. And you might think, well, this is what they wanted all along. And they staked out their first position to seem so, so stark. And they, they thought, well, then what we'll get Moses to agree to is to let us stay here after all if we go and we fight. What happens here, I think, is it's very clear at the end of, of verse 5, it says, do not take us across the Jordan. They weren't going. They were done. They were going to stay where they were. 
And I think as a result of Moses's reaction of him challenging them and and calling them to account, what happens is I believe the spirit of God works on them and they see what's going on there and they decide, you know what, we're going to send our guys over there and we're going to do this. Now, it's a compromise. And like all compromises, there are good things about it and there are bad things about it. The good thing is they participate in the in the work uh, that God called them to do to get the land. The bad thing about it is they stay on the other side of the river. And in some senses, and you can see this at the end of the book of Joshua, these people have a, begin to uh, have a separate identity and a separate center from the rest of the tribes on the other the other side. So here's the thing. Here's the issue for us today. Do you belong to each other? Is that what Jesus did when he 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 called you to himself? Uh, is 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 that? Did, do you see the blessing and the challenge uh, that might come from people loving me enough and me loving other people enough that that might actually dictate how I use the resources that God's given me? That's part of what what Jesus has done uh, in in living, dying, and rising again for us is He does that for us. But there's another thing that we need Jesus to do for us today, and it's in the very first verse of the of this chapter. It says that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw they saw the land. Your eyes. Uh, mislead you. They mislead us all the time. We see things, and the things that we see tend to look to us to matter more and to be more real to us than the things we don't see, right? When uh, Adam and Eve are in the garden and uh, uh, the, the serpent comes and he tempts them, it, the text tells us that Eve saw the fruit. She looked at it and it looked good to her, right? What's happening here with these people is they see the land, they see their cows, and they think, you know what? I know we have this identity, and I know we belong to this community of people, but I see this, and I want this, and this is here and now. I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of the river. I don't don't know what's going to happen over there, but I got this right here, right now. If you read uh, the theology, you read the the hymnody of poor and enslaved peoples from the past, one of the themes that you see in that over and over and over again is the the reality that this world is hard and I am pressing on towards something that Jesus died to give me that is so much better than this world. My fear for me And my fear for you is that if Jesus walked in the door here this morning and he said, Steve, it's time to come, it would be a big interruption to my plans and it would be a big interruption to my life because, frankly, my life is pretty good and I like it the way it is. Because how could heaven... Really? Hope I have that big screen TV in heaven. (laughs) Hope I have that recliner in heaven. Do you get good vacations in heaven? 
Do you get that stuff? Boy, I hope so. Because that's what makes life worth living here and now, right? Yikes, this, is, this makes me nervous to, to talk to you about this. Uh, because, you know, in North Carolina, when, whenever things get tense uh, in church, uh, uh, my mom and dad would get in the car and, and complain about what happened in church that day. And one of the things they would say is, you know, he was meddling today. He was not preaching. Part of the, part of the, part of the problem, and when you grow up like that, you know what people say about pastors. You know, my dad was an elder. I know what elders say about their pastors. My brother's a deacon. I know what deacons say about their pastors. So, and <clears throat> they all know what pastors say about their elders and deacons. And so, um, so one one of the things one of the things that you that you, you realize about this kind of thing. And one of the things that is so troubling to me about this that I, I don't have a good solution to this except that, that Jesus has to blind us to the things that would seduce us and open our eyes to the things that are eternal is many of us spend all of our time and energy working so that uh, we will view our stuff and the accumulation of our stuff as being a greater value than what Jesus died to give us eternally. Just look at the amount of advertising that we do as a culture that focuses upon greed and comparison and fear. Right? Now, there's nothing wrong with being blessed and there's nothing wrong with receiving what God has for us. But here's the thing. It is such a dangerous thing that we are so easily seduced by this thing I can hold in my hand or I can taste or I can see or I can feel as opposed to the reality of what Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again to deliver me from and to deliver me to. So today, if you're thinking, I don't really know what to do with this, you need to pray that God would blind you to that which would seduce you. And I say that in such a stark way uh, because what we would tend to say is, you know, God, make, make me not so attached to these things. But I'm afraid that they have such a profound impact on us that I need to be blinded sometimes from the things that seem to be so appealing to me. I wouldn't see them, that they would lose their appeal. So that the riches of the mercy of God to me in Jesus Christ, what he died to deliver me to and deliver me for, would become sweeter and more real to me. You see, one of the things that you have to see about that is, is that that's why Jesus gives us this little bit of bread and this little bit of juice as tangible things in time and in space that we can see and we can touch and we can smell and we can uh, uh, experience physically to show us the reality of what it is that he has done for us so that all these other things that are competing with our senses for for what is ultimate in value and worth and, and, and what defines me begins to fade and the glory of what we have in Christ becomes bigger 